So if you're reaching out, like if you feel the power of the supernatural and you reach out to it, but you don't know what you what to call it, I really think you can open yourself up to some, some kind of nasty stuff. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we've got Eric. Hey. And we've got Karen. Hey. And we've got Tracy. Morning. Morning, everybody. So, did you guys watch the debate? Nope. Oh. <laughs> I you did. You could not have paid me. <laughs> Sounds good to keep things light this morning and ask everybody who they're voting for. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> that was going to be this. That was going to be the second part of my question. Who are you voting for, and why is it the wrong person to put your hopes in? <laughs> because then, they all are yeah exactly you know <clears throat> it's I, best I, humans yeah you know i don't ever want to get o- overly political on here i mean i know that it delves into those those places sometimes you can't help it by with looking at the bible and you know i know that between the four of us our political preferences are all over the map you know mm-hmm. but just reminder people don't put all your hopes and dreams into a into a political candidate because, you know what? I mean, whatever's going to happen is what's going to happen. It's what God always knew was going to happen. And uh, ultimately, we are looking for a goal that's far beyond the next four years. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, follow your conscience now. Do what you think you need to do. Don't. Don't uh, ruin friendships and, and, and family relationships over it and uh, carry on. So with that, let's get into our discussion this week. We're continuing in the book of Deuteronomy, and this week we'll start in chapter 16, which begins with a quick review of Passover. Uh, we're reminded it starts in the month of Abib, which is, hmm, didn't we just have, no, Passover. I was, I was getting Passover and, and um, Day of Atonement mixed up there for a second, because we just had Yom Kippur last week, I think. Um, if you follow those things, which is Day of Atonement, but uh, Passover is in springtime, month of Abib. Now, one thing that I did find interesting here, verse 2, it talks about how the Passover sacrifices were supposed to be done where the Lord chooses to put his name. Yep. So, that too. And that shows up again and again and again through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it seems like a little reminder, God's the one in charge. Uh, he wants he wants things done a specific way, specific <clears throat> time, uh, and in a specific place. So the Israelites were very much supposed to be remembering who, who who's in charge there. Uh, let's see here: no leaven for seven days, and they were not supposed to leave any meat left over till the next morning. This is all review. We've we've read through this I think a few times now. And for <clears> our <throat> listeners, what we mean is, it's if you haven't been here through the whole thing, that this is not the first time Passover, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Booths has shown up. It's written about again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Constant reminders. The Pentateuch, the Torah, is a lot of constant reminders of who you, who you were, where you came from, and where you're going. Uh, let's see. They would have a sacred assembly on the seventh day, but that did not necessarily mean the seventh day Sabbath because... Uh, Passover would begin when it began, you know, which doesn't necessarily correspond with 
our weekly cycle. So they could have a, a sacred day in the middle of the week. Potentially could be on a Wednesday. You never know. You don't know. Just depends on when it would start. Uh, they reviewed, <clears throat> there was a review of the Feast of Weeks. And this would be, here's again, you don't have a specific time other than, it says seven weeks after you begin to put the sickle to the grain. So, so from seven weeks from when harvest would start then, this is when the Feast of Weeks would begin. Which and, is going to be different every year, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me, I mean, I've known a few farmers, and they just kind of, they kind of watch their crops and wait to see when they're going to harvest. They don't decide, well, we're going to harvest this on October 3rd, you know. They, they, they watch, and they wait, and they see when things are, are ready to go. So, But then they would bring a free will offering. I mean, there was nothing real spectacular about any of that. But this was a celebration. They were supposed to rejoice. So this was a celebration time and celebrating because they're remembering that they were slaves in Egypt. The Feast of Tabernacles was reviewed. Another seven-day festival says, when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your wine press. So this would be, this would be in conjunction with harvest. And now this is when they have prepared the stuff, you know, I suppose. And be, again, because God will bless you in your produce and the work of your hands. Just a Thanksgiving thing. Mm-hmm. Sure. I did think it was interesting there when it was talking about the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. In chapter 16, verses what 16 and 17, it says, No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. You mm. must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Yeah, I suppose it meant... We always have reasons to be thankful. You know, I mean, we're we're just hitting October here, but we're starting to look down into some of the other holidays. Thanksgiving comes up and, you know, you hit November and everybody starts posting, you know, have some start thinking about what you're thankful about. And I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times at our Thanksgiving meals, we'll sit around the table and, well, what are you thankful for? And what are you thankful for? And and if um, if you're not in a state of constant thankfulness, it can... You sit there and you might have to think and wonder and and uh, you know really rack your brain. But um. oh, I think I think thankfulness is maybe a portion of this. But like if you look at verse at the beginning of verse sixteen, it says, three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place He will choose: festival of unleavened bread, festival of weeks, festival of tabernacles. No mm-hmm. one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. So this is this isn't what we think of as a free will offering. It's just that, like, it's it's not an offering of thanksgiving. It's, hmm. but you decide the amount because you are the one who knows how you have been blessed that year. Yeah, okay. So there's more of a requirement this time. It's totally a requirement mm-hmm. for these three big things that we're talking about. Passover, yeah. Festival of Weeks, Festival of Tabernacles. Yeah. So these these three have a lot of things in common. But one of the things that's different is the Passover... Which is just for our listeners, these festivals are named different things in the um, in my Bible, which is the English Standard Version. It's the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and Feast of Booths. So they're 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 holidays known by different names. So don't let that throw you off. They don't mean different things. They're just they're just called different things. Um, they're all to be in the place that the Lord chooses. They're all at. Um, specified times, although those times can change based on when the harvest comes in and the day of the week. 
But one thing that's different is the Passover is, it says, in my translation, it says a solemn occasion. Mm-hmm. And then the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booths, they are literally told, you shall rejoice. Like those were specifically to be Thanksgiving type holidays. And the thing that the Passover, think about that, what that commemorates and what that, what that is, what that's remembering is really serious stuff. And that's why they're told, Hey, you know, when you, when you face this and you remember this, give it some deep thought. And I do believe that all of these holidays have value. Now, I'm not proposing that we all uh, need to celebrate them religiously according to the dates that it goes in here, because I believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of these particular holidays, because Mm -hmm. they do point forward, especially the Passover. But I don't think the Passover, in the sense of what it commemorates, God's deliverance from uh, bondage, is done. I mean, we're here on earth, we're in bondage, we're in a, we are slaves, if you will, to um, our current situation, even though we've uh, received the promise of deliverance from Jesus, here we are. I mean, I don't know where you guys are as listeners, but right now we're in Colorado and we're under a constant plume of smoke. I mean, it's so, the smoke here, because from forest fires, and it's so dense, it'll drop the temperature 10 degrees, easy, maybe more, Uh, because it's so, I mean, the fires are, hundred miles away, some of them, and I'm still getting ash dropped on my, my property here. So we're not in a good place. We're awaiting deliverance for a better place. And remember how that all went down. They didn't waltz out of Egypt and, and into the promised land with no issues. I mean, they were delivered supernaturally, but it was, it was a bit of a nail biter. And that's why, and they did it only through the grace of God with a supernatural deliverance, and there to remember it, it, the highlight of it is the Passover lamb, which clearly is a uh, foreshadowing of Jesus as the, as the lamb of God. And that's why it's a solemn thing. And yet, at the same time, God is saying, hey, your life shouldn't be like drudgery and dragging your feet. Uh, remember, I'm going to bless you. In the, in the temporal, like, things of your life. And so we have these other holidays that are reminders that should be celebrated. And frankly, I, I think that at our insistence of giving these things up, we're like, no, why would we want to celebrate a celebratory thing? You know, I've heard people, yeah. we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't even look at these Old Testament festivals. And I'm like, and like, so God asks us to celebrate a couple times a year and you're against it? <laughs> I, I don't know. Talk me out of that. <laughs> it is kind of a funny, kind of funny way to think about that. You know, it's like, let's have a party. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I hate parties. I don't want to have fun. These, these really aren't. Um, these, these, these last Passover is a, is a memory thing. Yeah. And, and the feast of weeks and feast of booths are, celebrations correct me if i'm wrong here but they're not really worship high days now the day of atonement is mm-hmm. but feast of weeks and booths that's just like hey get together and remember how god's blessed you yeah. you know yeah. I, th- I think that's a point too that just like we've said just over the last few 
weeks when we've been in Deuteronomy is that this was just driving it home. Don't forget where you came from and don't forget where you're going. That's I think that was the main push for for everything in this in this book so far is, you know what? I'm your God. Follow me. And this is where I've brought you from. And this is what we need to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Forgetting that is to our own loss, I think. Yeah, yeah, I've I've thought that a number of times reading through these. You know, these are these are big events. Like the Israelites as a nation, the Passover was huge. It it was a huge event in their lives. It was the fork in the road where they finally got to leave Egypt. It was that final straw where 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 Pharaoh was like, "Okay, I'm done. Get out." And they were spared because of the blood of the lamb. Right? It's just it's like that whole. It's it is to them. It is both them finally leaving Egypt, their their freedom from bondage, that moment, and looking forward to the Lamb of God. And and when I read that, you know, it is it was supposed to be a solemn event for them because that was a huge salvation. It was a literal salvation that they understood at the time, and it was a figurative salvation looking forward for all mankind. And when I read the story of the Passover, I can't help but be sobered and think to myself, like, where are the times that God saved me? Like, where's, where are my moments of exodus? Mm-hmm. You know, he brought me out of something horrific. So there's like that immediate, like in your face freedom. And then there's the figurative salvation that overarches the whole thing. I think it's beautiful. Well, we do have sort of, I mean, we have sort of replacements for well, some of this. I mean, like, you know, we talked about Thanksgiving. Um, instead of Passover, we have Easter. Now, of course, neither one of those things are holidays that were, specifically prescribed by God. Uh, they're kind of man's attempt to come up with something. But similar themes, though, at least, but without that edict to to celebrate, sometimes people look at them as a little burdensome, you know? Oh, Thanksgiving, yay, you know? They require more <laughs> in the way of shopping and cooking and decorating than they do actual Thanksgiving, which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is. It's unfortunate. Well, let's... Uh, let's somebody saying something? Yeah, I was just going to say, as it ends up, the very last verse, it's kind of like almost like a PS, it starts chapter 17, is it's God basically saying, I believe, don't mix other forms of worship with what I've told you to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, a, it's not a cup of this and a cup of that. It's like, nope, it's pure my way. Yeah, uh, let's see. Before the chapter ends, it talks about uh, justice being administered, and when we would when they would appoint judges, being reminded not to pervert justice, right. don't be taking any bribes, bribes, and don't be partial. Have no partiality to people for any reason at all. I remember, uh, you know, don't don't give extra attention to the poor and don't give less attention to the rich. And maybe I have that backwards, but either way, you say it, it still applies. Nobody gets special attention when it comes to uh, determining things in law. And uh, well, very justice alone. Mm-hmm. And then it very specifically talks about not planting any trees for Asherah poles. That was part. That was a big part of the uh, the religions of the area. I don't exactly understand what an Asherah pole is, but I know that there's lots of times when kings would go would uh, go cut them down. And then well, lots of times when kings would go and put them up, <laughs> they're 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 um, they're pagan 
worship things, they're phallic symbols. Ah. And they would decorate them and dance around them and worship around them. That was what they were specifically, um, that's why they were kind of at a core of worship. Because you think about, I mean, I've seen, my grandfather was into archaeology. And the old, um, <laughs> I, those, I, was gonna say, I was going to say, the people of the Old Testament were obsessed with sex. I don't think that actually ever faded away. Mm. Uh, just the way we show it is definitely gotten different. <clears throat> but yeah, the the symbols, the the clay um, idols, the were they were all symbolic of things that were that had to do with reproduction specifically. Mm. I mean, that's where the rabbit comes from in Easter. Yeah, is, yeah. is, is the uh, fertility stuff, and so that's where Eggs. that came from. It's interesting. I never thought of it in that that being that that totally makes sense. Uh, let's see. Deuteronomy 17 goes in, uh, begins with uh, reminding them, do not make defective sacrifices. Remember that all of these sacrifices, they didn't know this, but all of these sacrifices would in some way or other point forward to the ultimate sacrifice, uh, that perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Anyone found worshiping false gods was to be stoned to death. This is uh, an indication of how serious... This was considered to be, especially in this new society, just being brought up. God is trying to establish something, trying to establish um, uh, a people for the rest of the world to look to. And this was not a time for anybody to be messing around with with these other gods. And uh, the stoning, you know, the death penalty put on things is is a pretty, pretty good deterrent, or at least it's intended to be a pretty good deterrent. Something like that it makes you think. Makes you think tw- two or three times before you go through with something like that. I did see this one. Would... Go ahead, Karen. Oh, I was just going to say this one was really specific, though, um, because the hands of the witnesses, right? So, mm-hmm. on the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person shall be convicted. Never just one. And it's in this case, it's very specific. The hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting that person to death. And that's interesting because if somebody is going to be worshiping foreign gods, the people they're going to be willing to do that in front of are the people they're most comfortable with, the people they're closest to, mm. right? And then those people must be the first. That was that, pretty tough for me. Calum- I sat and read over that a couple of times and thought, oh, my goodness. Mm. Go ahead, Tracy. That holds them to a little bit of accountability and responsibility of, you know, the accusations or um, the judgments that they're putting on that person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all all of a sudden it makes me think of the Salem witch trials here in the United States, you know, and the, the accusations that got put out and people just believed it, you know. Um, but, you know, you had such a fervor going on and people just went bonkers and here you know if you're going to make an accusation you better be ready and willing to back it up and understand just exactly what your accusation means to this person that yes. uh, that you're so that of. that theme shows up again in our reading here um mm-hmm. an eye for an eye and so on that shows up in um chapter 19 we'll get to that but it's very related and that was the part that I was that I saw is what Karen just mentioned is that this is a serious thing requiring it's not a light accusation, 
and it says here in my uh, translation in 17.4, then you shall inquire diligently, and if it is true and certain. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in 6, on the evidence of two witnesses, and then like, or of three witnesses, and this required some judicial um, process. This wasn't to be taken lightly. And God worked pretty hard to try to keep judicial neutrality here. As we see in 19, the, um, the penalties for perjury were really high. And we don't have a whole lot of examples of this being broken. The one that I can think of where it was broken is where Queen Jezebel uh, works to secure Naboth's vineyard for her husband Ahab, and she convinces three people or more to to commit perjury, and that does result in the death of an innocent person. But she had to really, really work it hard to get that to happen, which isn't to say that that justice can't be perverted, because it it was in that case and. The author of the of the book. It's probably in in Kings. I didn't look it up, but um, that's you know justice can be perverted, like straight up, absolutely flat out wrong, perverted, biased against somebody. So lest we think that justice can't ever be perverted, you can. But God, I will say this, takes it very seriously, very seriously. Yes. You look at Jezebel's first judgment say nothing of the resurrection, she was judged pretty harshly. For readers, a spoiler alert here, she gets thrown out of the castle window, falls to her death, and eaten by dogs. And That's a pretty, to be eaten by dogs. It's a pretty ignominious death. And God takes this stuff seriously. So as we head into judging things, he's saying, you know, you better leave your bias at the door, and you better only speak the truth. Right. Well, speaking of those judgments, it goes on, talks about difficult judgments being then taken to the Levites, remembering that they were set aside for specific purposes, and this was this was one of them. You'll remember that in the past, the most difficult things were supposed to be brought to Moses, and this whole book of Deuteronomy is both Moses basically saying goodbye to the Israelites because he's, he's, he's not going to make it through the end of the book, but these Levites still are in a position of judgment. And their judgments, if you if it's serious enough that you take it to the Levites, be be prepared for whatever they come up with, because whatever they say is binding to the point where if you don't comply with what they say, it's death penalty. So serious stuff, you know, don't take something to a Levite unless it's like really serious. Now, here was some interesting things here because they weren't talking about having kings yet, but we we'll get to a point where the Levite or the, uh, sorry, the Israelites start asking for a king. And here already Moses is laying it down, principles for kings. He says, when you want a king, and this is another one of those times when it's not an if statement, it's when, when you want a king, when you want a king, God will choose him. And you will have no foreigners over you as, king, as, as your king. Mm -hmm. Kind of similar to our situation here. We will not accept someone from born outside of the country to non-citizens as our president. Yeah, you know? here for the for the listeners somewhere else. That's not a that's not a popular choice today that we've said that. That's written into the constitution that goes way back. That's just part mm -hmm. of the deal. 
Yeah, and it makes sense, you know. People who have lived here, grown up here, they understand how things work. They understand how uh, people, you know, they understand the needs of the people, and they're not likely to just try to arbitrarily bring in ways of governing from from other other places, you know, and uh, or, or or start serving the interests of other countries because. They've always been a part of what's here. The idea. So no, yeah, that's the idea. I mean, every, everybody has their own ideas, you know. But um, but the idea is is to have somebody who represents you, the people. Um, and same thing here for these for these kings. Uh, the king is not to use his position to enrich himself. You know, we see so many times where where royalty they. I, I mean, I suppose just any kind of a position of power like that just sort of naturally brings on a certain amount of um, monetary wealth as well as as prestige or esteem in the in the in the community. Um, but you know, they weren't specifically supposed to take take their position and and use it to uh, just make themselves uh, make themselves more wealthy. Yeah, as I read, did anybody else think of King Solomon as we kept reading through this? Yes. Or, yes. Oh, my goodness. That's a miss. I mean, everywhere. It's like, just don't go to Egypt to acquire horses. Solomon, hmm, mm-hmm. let me go mm-hmm. get horses from Egypt. Don't get lots of foreign women as wives. Hey, let's see how many we can ma-. It's just like, oh, man. He just went <laughs> yeah. right down the list. Yeah. You know, there's so many times it, it amazes me that Solomon was considered the wisest man ever. Because, yeah. he, because he, he started out good. But it's just like he just started tossing things out the window. It's just it's interesting. Yeah. Well, now, he even the, says the reason. It says he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Yeah. Right, right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Ta-da. What happened? Hey, we yeah. all know even one woman will pull you away. Yeah. To Tracy? What happened? Hey. I'm not even going to answer that because she could be listening. <laughs> <laughs> I know my listeners. So. <laughs> we love you. Wives. <laughs> uh, I think I interrupted you, Eric. Were you saying something? No, I was just going to say, I think it's worth looking at is just to say, well, God said don't do this. And we say, well, so what happens if you do? Mm. Well, we have examples of what happens. Yeah. Thanks, yep. Eve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this was, this is maybe I thought, very poignant, and it would be very interesting if our leaders would do these things uh, now. The king shall write a copy of the law for himself. Now, I mean, these days, you know, in our countries, I'm sure every nation has so many laws, it'd be impossible for somebody to write an entire copy of a, of every law of the land. But um, when we're talking about these few books, and I don't even know if it's even talk about these all these books, because... Obviously, this one's not even finished being written at the time that we're that um, that uh, Moses would be putting this down. But the idea that a king would have to write down the laws for himself, and I know for myself, uh, if I'm going to really study things, you know, you got to take notes. You got to you, you, it helps to in, in, ingrain it in your mind that uh, uh, whatever it is that you're writing down. So for the king to write down a copy of the law, it's good. it should ensure that that law isn't going to get just completely forgotten. 
And I was thinking about that when I read it, and that's what we tell, or that's how we study. That's how we tell our kids to study, that if you really want to learn something and apply it, you read it because you take it into your mind that way. Then you write it down, kind of drives it home, but it, it also gives you a more like personalized view of what's going on. So it's kind of like implementing it, the works of your hands yeah. to, uh, to drive it home. And I think too, I think that's lost sometimes that people just, cause you can, a lot of people just skim over it, theory, you know, and, and not really take it to heart. And I think this is the, the point where he says, you know what, read it, write it, you know, and apply it. Yeah. Yep. It says it is to be with him. And he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I'm going to just take a super quick uh, um, tangent here and okay. and encourage our listeners to study the Bible in a way that incorporates these things. The first time I actually did a fully read through the Bible plan, which by the way, our readers might not know this, is that we were part of a Bible study group um, years ago, and we read through the entire Bible together as a much larger group than just the four of us. And we read it on a read through the Bible plan. It wasn't a chronological one, but it was some reading from the Old Testament and some from the wisdom literature and then some from the New Testament. Uh, Every day there was some reading and as part of this, we were encouraged to write or journal something down about it. And then we would get together every week and share something about that, what we learned, what we had questions we had. And I won't speak for anybody else here, but I can speak for myself and say, I learned so much more when I was writing things down, which, by the way, we all do for our listeners. We're all j- jotting notes as we read through these things during the week. Mm-hmm. And then we're looking at those to to visit when we when we talk here. There's something about not just reading it, but writing it down, and then having a discussion with other people that just it sets it. It yep. really sets it in a different way. What what mm-hmm. the rest of you have to say about that? Well, my wife has really taken this to heart lately because she will she will listen to she listens to the podcast. Thanks, hon. Hi, babe, and. Uh, she, she'll listen to the podcast. She listens to an audio version of the Bible while she's reading it. And then she has also taken to uh, she found some uh, uh, downloadable Bible lessons that are just, you know, simple question and answer things. And so she's really been studying heavy. But, yeah, absolutely. Writing down notes, uh, especially this go through for the podcast, um, writing down these notes has really been uh, uh, solidifying things in my mind. To do it that to do it that way, and yeah, when we did our read through, absolutely, you know, having a little um, uh, uh, accountability because you know people would be expecting that you would have something to say, and mm-hmm. having having um, having some notes put down there, and uh, yeah, absolutely, you know, I, the more the more ways you can the more ways you can ingrain it in your mind, the better. Go ahead, Karen. I personally got a lot of value when we did this a few years ago. Um, and by the way, it was, it was, it was a group of adults, 
but because because of the topic there were some teenagers who started coming to it and they and they continue to like to come to that adult class rather than to go study with kids their own age just because they like what's talked about and they mm-hmm. they became part of the group and so i like that they were integrated into that as well but one of the things that i got a lot about a lot out of that process was i would read something during the week I would notice it for my own reasons, and I would immediately think to myself, I wonder what everyone else thinks of this, right? Like Mm -hmm. the people in the group, like I know them, I trust their brains, I trust their spiritual heart, right? And I would immediately be looking forward to the time that I would see them next when I could say, well, here, check this out. I really, really thought this, and then hear what other people, so the the simple spiritual sounding board, I found to be very valuable. Yep, so as a reminder to fear God, to observe the law, and to stay humble. Good good for all of us. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, the portion of the priests and the Levites. Reminder, they do not get their own inheritance. And they eat from the offerings that are given. Yeah, but the internal organs? Ew. Yeah, they got the, well, I mean, they got the stomach. Well, hey, hey, hey. Well, all I saw was you got the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach. What did you What did you get? Um, verse, verse three, it says, "This might be a translation thing. I should I should look across my. I've got a four translation Bible. I should look across it here. This is the share due the priests from the people who sacrifice a bull or a sheep: the shoulder, the internal organs, and the meat from the head." Mm. Well, mm. okay. You know, the internal organs is not that far outside of the realm of things. I mean, a lot of people eat heart. We're in Colorado. We have a lot of Hispanic people who like to eat um, tripe. Oh, yeah. Which, if I'm not mistaken, is is, uh, stomach. Stomach. They love it. I mean, I've never had it myself. I mean, I've heard it's, like, kind of chewy and, I don't know. You had to slow cook it for, like, 12 hours. I looked at that as a practical thing, though. And maybe I'm totally wrong here, but when I saw the stomach, I mean, here in Colorado, we always have to, we have to be drinking water all the time because our humidity is like not uncommon to be single digits at some times of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at that as like the Boda bags, like they're it's like, hey, we're going to give you um, because that's how they carry mm-hmm. water around too is is in those um, mm-hmm. containers made of stomachs. Sure. So I saw that as like a utility thing. It's like, hey, you guys are going to get a bunch of free bottles. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Karen, with that flaming red hair, you can't tell me that you've never tried haggis. I, I have, I have tried haggis. Yeah, well, what do you think that is? Right, that's why I was so <laughs> grossed out. Like, why would you oh. make pieces? <laughs> I don't know. I had haggis well, a couple times. I didn't think it was too bad. <laughs> it's not. It's not awful, but it's also not entrails. Like, it's not. Yeah. It's cooked in the stomach, right? But it's, it's, you know. Ugh. Anyway, yeah. I have to say, I don't think we really understand what that was all about. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. But you know, I mean, it's just—it's. I suppose it's largely a cultural thing. You know, we don't here. We don't do a lot of eating of of those things. Although, I mean, I've had I've had some of them. I've had sausage that was encased in in um, intestine. Intestine. Yeah. You know, you clean it out good, and and it makes a good sausage casing. You know, my I, I grew up with a with a hunter for a father, and and dad made some some uh, sausage out of antelope. I think it was antelope, and and uh, encased it in the in the entrails, and you know, it was just practical. It worked, and 
You just tried not to think too hard about what it was. <laughs> but yeah, well, so anyway. I can get my head around. When I read head, I was thinking brains. And I was like, really? Like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I've never had it. So I want to hear what you all have to say about 18, kind of 9 through through 14. <laughs> 18. Yeah. So here we are just starting in the month of October. And, you know, <laughs> we're, uh, well, these days, I, I think uh, Halloween starts on July 5th or uh, these days, it seems. But, um, <laughs> I think it's uh, the second largest grossing holiday for retailers uh, in yeah. the United States. It's a lot of people's favorite holiday. I mean, favorite, yeah. and you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to be prudish and deny that I've. I've that I have enjoyed aspects of Halloween through my life, but um, man, there's there's such a there's such a push for it these days that um, my my older sensibilities. I just I can't accept so much of it anymore because it's. It's not. It doesn't seem like it was when I grew up as a kid, you know. But um, here specifically, and it's hard to say whether it's the holiday that's changed or your awareness. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe things. No. Maybe I just don't see. Maybe I didn't see things quite that I did when I was a kid. Go ahead, Tracy. You know, I wonder if it's just the whole commercialism to it, because you know, I, I would agree with Matt and say that when I grew up, it wasn't. I don't think it was as big as it is now. You know, you didn't have the. You know, five or six aisles of, of candy. You didn't have the just the the larger than life props that you have now. You had, you know, a thing of pumpkins. You might have some plastic ones, you know, something to put in front of your door. But this it's become a thing where you decorate your whole house like, you know, like Christmas. There's lights for it. There's um, lawn ornaments. It's like it's just totally blown up and become very commercialized. Oh, yeah. I was walking through a huge warehouse store uh, just this week, and then in the next aisle I hear, ah, 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 ah. I'm like, what the heck? And I was like, okay, that's all right. It's the Halloween decoration. Next aisle, and somebody walked by a motion sensor. So here's where we're getting at for, for readers is, or for listeners, maybe like, what, what? what are you talking about? So it starts in 18.9. When you come into the land that the Lord's giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering. We're like, okay, I can get my head around that. Right. We're not going to be people who literally, we talked about this earlier in podcasts, about sacrificing the children to these, um, to these satanic deities. Um, we can say, okay, we can say why, why they wouldn't want to do that. And it goes on. Anyone who practices divination, oh, wait, or tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. That's quite a list that today has become largely what gets put out on Halloween decoration thing is it's about death. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a largely not entirely a, a holiday that celebrates death. And the whole idea, unless you didn't know this is people, the reason people would dress up in their costumes was the idea that you would then trick these evil spirits who would show up into not recognizing you. Yep. So that yeah. you would get cursed or, or um, you know, 
in otherwise compromised. So you would disguise yourself and trick these these spirits who would show up on uh, Halloween. And that's where the whole costuming thing came up. And that's why we see an increasing number. I don't think I don't I don't think you guys are ima- imagining the difference today from when we were kids. Because I didn't walk by anybody's yard that looked like a graveyard with <laughs> witches flying around and skeletons popping out of the ground. I like I didn't see that as a kid. Yeah. And here we yeah. are. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely taken on a whole new a whole new uh level of of uh participation than it ever did when I was a kid. I mean I I'd see lots of decorations and things, but usually it was like window cutouts of jack o' lanterns and maybe a witch or you know, all these little, you know, kind of cartoony things. And now, man, a few years ago, I remember driving down the road and I'd have to go buy this one particular house every week. And it looked like a crime scene. I mean, it looked like a gruesome murder had happened in the front yard. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is attractive to you. This is what you find fun. You know, maybe for some people, it's a way of, of dealing with with an aspect of life that we really wouldn't want to for real. But, but, um, I just, I really, I, I don't quite get it. I would take a moment to remember that human nature has come up. I mean, we're, we're still just humans and human yeah. nature has come up with all kinds of marvelous entertainments over the years, beheadings in the public square, yeah. putting <laughs> people in stocks and abusing them, you know, leaving them there day after day, the Coliseum. I mean, this is human nature we're talking about. Um, I think the difference now is that with props and sanitation, we can pretend it all. Yeah. And so we feel better about it, but it's still the exact same aspects of human nature. Yeah. You know, yeah, so- you, you hit on a point. Sometimes we, we become jaded to it. And I think that makes it more easily and readily accessible for these kind of things to happen is that, you know what, we become it's become almost commonplace to see these kind of things and TV or, yes, you know, hear about them. And I think, you know, that doesn't help the problem, but I think too, in reading this, the first thing that popped into my mind was that it, it was definitely an issue. He knew God knew it was going to be an issue and it was going to be something that traveled with them the entire time of having these other outside influences. And when it came to Saul, um, if you remember then too, he was he that was his first big campaign was to rid Israel of this stuff. And yep. in the end, he turned towards it. At the so, end. Yeah. So it's it was going to be an ongoing problem. And once again, he was giving him the foreshadowing. You know what? Do not let this become a hindrance or a roadblock between you and I. Um, right. mm-hmm. They didn't heed the warning. Right. And this is this is not I would just to circle back. Yeah, Halloween has become this in in these days, but this is way more than Halloween. Right, right. I mean, this is. I remember as a kid, I wanted to watch some TV show of famous, popular publisher of children's entertainment, and it was surprising the number of shows, movies that intent that continually included some sort of witchcraft or spiritism. Mm-hmm. And that has only increased in our uh, popular culture, uh, movies, entertainment, I mean, all the way to cartoons. 
And so here's, the, here's, I guess, the root of this is are these warnings to stay away from? And this is all included in the same thing. Nobody's going to get away with burning their son or daughter these days. They're just not. Right. But as that goes on, that list of things is, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so what about this about fortune telling, interpreting omens, sorcerers, mediums, charmers, necromancers, to inquire of the dead? I mean, you can go to certain, you can go to stores and buy a game. You can buy a Ouija board that tells you this stuff. And you're buying it, you're buying a fortune teller and a divination medium in a box. And you can get together and you call it a party game. Is God warning us? And he never explains why. We've talked about this earlier. Sometimes he tells you why. And sometimes he doesn't. He just says, don't go there. Is this relevant today? Yeah, I think, well, it's very important to remember that, you know, he wouldn't. Have, I, I don't think this would have been as serious if these had just been games and fun. And uh, I would think it would be definitely, you know, be aware of your entertainments. But this is serious stuff because this was real. These were things that people were basing you know, life around and you, you don't, you don't tend to base your life around something that ha doesn't have a realism to it. You know, this was, this was serious stuff. This was stuff that actually happened. And I think yeah, it's stuff that happening still today? happens. Oh, I think it still happens. Yeah. And so, and he says here, you know, because of these abominations, the Lord's driving them out from before you. Like this is one of the reasons why these people lost their land and you're going to get it. So, don't do the same things they did. Right. So I have something I'm curious about. I've been curious about this for years. This is a good chance for me to ask it. This is the same people who has the Urim and the Thummim. Mm -hmm. This is the same people who casts to make spiritual decisions. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Okay. Where's the line? Oh, I think it's clear. God is saying, if you're asking me to, to, to make this decision, I will. If you're asking the dead or spirits to make it, you're on your own. Stand by. You don't know what you're going to get. So you have to be, so you're thinking that the, that the difference is you can't be asking the supernatural or leaving it up to chance or fate. You have to specifically be asking God. And in a way that he so, asked, because he gave them the Urim and the Thummim. Yep. And for certain situations, he said, you take it to the judges. And only in certain situations did they say, cast lots. And that was usually at the direction of a prophet. Yeah, and I think specifically, too, when he's pointed out these very specific things, don't go to these things, don't expect a godly answer. You know, if you're going towards witchcraft or sorcery or spell spell conjuring or, or asking the dead, understand you are not getting an answer from God. Right from here. So I think Isaiah says it best. This is Isaiah chapter 8, 19. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn or no light of dawn. Yeah, so it definitely makes a difference of where you go for your information and how you obtain it. 
Absolutely. And that's why Saul in First Samuel chapter twenty-eight. He is. It's the end of his life. He's facing death. Uh, he's he's outnumbered at a battle. Uh, he's going to tomorrow. Samuel has said, "I'm done. I'm out of here. You are on your own. You've chosen your own way. Basically, good luck with that." And Samuel dies, and Saul is left alone. He, Saul has basically. It's kind of like. God says, you have a choice, A or B. A is my choice. And Saul says, I'll take B. God shows up again, A or B. A is my choice, B is your own way. Saul, I'll take B. Over and over and over. And then he's left with the results of those things. And he, at the end of his life, he doesn't know what to do. He's facing this battle. And so he decides to get a supernatural answer. And he goes to a witch who asks of the dead. And she purports to pull up Samuel who said, I'm not talking to you anymore. And Samuel always called, this is an important thing, I think might as well mention it here, God always calls people to repentance. Always. Turn away. Turn away. And instead, this spirit that shows up, that this witch of Endor pulls up, this spirit says to Saul, now all hope is lost. You're dead. Might as well give up. Mm -hmm. And not super common that God says that to his people like, yeah, no, no hope for you. Might as well just die. Right. Um, so that's what the spirit says to Saul. And it does. I mean, he does die the next day, which actually goes right into some of the other things that, um, <laughs> that we're going to read about here about if a prophet says, Hey, in, in verse 22, if a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, and if the word does not come true, which we got to contrast that with what we read earlier in 13.2, even if it does mm-hmm. come true, the point is if they speak anything that deviates from what you've been told as to how to worship God, don't go there. Yeah. Yeah, and I had I had a note about that too, about uh, going back to 13.2. But you basically, if it doesn't come true, you can Im- immediately know it's not from God. Good point. It so- doesn't necessarily... True, a true, a true prediction doesn't necessarily mean it comes from God, but if it doesn't come true, then it's one hundred percent not from God. Go ahead, Karen. So, the, so I'm going to throw a caveat in here, and that is that I think I, I can't speak for history, but I know that now there are people who believe in the supernatural, but don't necessarily have it delineated into God and Satan. But they see so much evidence of the supernatural that they know that something bigger is out there. And so mm-hmm. without trying to sort out what it is, they will reach out and ask. And they are open to what they hear back. And and if you told them that they were tapping into demons, they would laugh in your face. Yeah. So I have friends who have spoken to dolphins seeking answers. This is not a joke. I have friends who have have openly had seances to speak with their mother because they did not know they did not know what happens to you when you die. So their mother loved them and was a good source of information when they were alive. Why wouldn't they why wouldn't she continue to be after she had died? Mm. So I have I have known people who would sit and as they termed it pray and then they would be contacted by something that they could only say was an alien. It was an alien. I, and, and, and I think that they're coming in their spaceship. And these are literally things. So if you're reaching out, like if you feel the power of the supernatural and you reach out to it, but you don't know what you what to call it, 
I really think you can open yourself up to some some kind of nasty stuff. Oh yeah, God makes no he's he's not kind of ambiguous about whether you should or shouldn't do that. Yeah. He's saying you come to me or don't do it. Period. Yeah, and Satan has done a real good job of making people not believe in the supernatural. And that is my point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and then when it shows up, you're like, oh, wait a minute. There's something here. bigger than me. Oh, yeah, there's something here. It's just... Just like the human nature that we had talked about, though. He's given you all these points of reference. Even even Jesus himself was asked that very question with Lazarus. When, When Lazarus was resurrected, the people went to him and asked him, Lazarus, give us... Give us the knowledge. What's beyond the grave? Tell us what's out there. Mm-hmm. And Jesus simply told them, there's nothing out there. The dead know nothing. They no longer play any value in this world. And people will continue to hunt after that because I think it's one of those deep-seated, is is it fear? Is it just the unknown? Is it that question mark that's hanging out there for them that uh, they just want to know what's out there? And they're willing to just go contrary to what they've been told. Yeah, so it is real. It is, uh, I mean, it's valid. There's stuff out there that happens and you hear about it. And uh, a lot of us, our first in, 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 in inclination is to, to say, yeah, whatever. But um, there's just as many people that will tell you this stuff is real. They've witnessed it. They've seen it. And that's because it it really is there, and you've got to know where your information is coming from. Yep. All right. With Deuteronomy 19 reviews about the cities of refuge, if you remember, that was where if you accidentally killed a person, this was a place where you could go so that uh, – how does it put it? I can't remember how they how, – how they, I have to look it up. The, the manslayer, you know, avenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. But oh, the Avenger of Blood! The Avenger of Blood couldn't come after you. So if you accidentally killed somebody, somebody from their family couldn't come after you. If you were, if you went to this uh, town, <laughs> I, every time I go through this, I get I get a different thing. So you know, I had a couple of observations here, um, because part of this was that you know it was when when you're. When your territory grows, they are supposed to make more cities of refuge. So the first observation is that God is promising them that he's going to enlarge their territory. But then the second one, and maybe it should have been the first one, was how common was manslaughter back then? I mean, to have three specific – actually, it was six. Here it's talking about three because there were, I think we're just talking about one side of the river. Because, But there were six specific cities built – for this purpose and then if you when your territory grows we're going to make more cities for this it's like i was just thinking wow how common was this how often did this happen you guys need to be more careful with your axe heads right <laughs> i don't think a, that they were cities made up entirely of manslayers well Man. no no i know i know that i know that but still the idea that you're going to need to make you know if you grow if you grow you need to make three more cities so that they have a place to go. I mean, maybe well, it, I mean, says, it says the reason why it well, says yeah. so that you can get there before the Avenger of blood overtakes you yeah. so that the distance is not too great. Yeah. yeah. I think saying like, how common was this? Like, did you really, it's kind of like today they're like, well, if you see a unicorn do this, it's like, well, how many options do we need? For that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I know, 
I I don't know. I don't know anybody. No, that's not true. I've known one person in my life who accidentally killed somebody. And that person was a kid who was screwing around with his gun in his house and it went off and he and he shot his sister. Really, oh. you know. And and um you know, I messed him up for years. But, you know, it's just like how common was this? Uh, that you that you that you would create these cities specifically for it and not just create cities for it but i mean it's been talked about several times in the torah just, well i uh, think it goes to what we find later in the chapter is about god's desire to have justice mm-hmm. not to take it into our own hands but to take this seriously because we see later there's some um real estate business here in 14 don't move the landmarks of your you know a property boundaries Mm-hmm. That's basically just don't do it. It's dishonest. Um, nowadays we do that with paperwork mostly, but um, he's still saying don't don't do it. Mm-hmm. And then we get into laws concerning witnesses again, only on the evidence of two or three witnesses. It goes to that overarching thing of God caring about justice, and then we get to laws of perjury. You guys probably noted that you've heard this: an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand. So basically, in this particular case. This is specific to perjury. If you have a false witness who wants to set somebody up in court and get them penalized, get their you know eye knocked out or their tooth knocked out or amputated or whatever, they're like, look, if you're a false witness and you're trying to bring this charge against somebody else to get them punished, if we find out you're committing perjury, the punishment you wanted them to get, you will get. Yeah. So it's again, you know, don't don't be making accusations uh, willy nilly. You better you better be able to prove it. You better know for sure that it's true. And I found it interesting too that these would not have been anonymous witnesses. You know, this wouldn't be no anonymous sources say. This right. would be, you know, Joe Smith said, and I suppose they didn't have a Joe Smith, but. Um, <laughs> but uh but you know you get you get my point you couldn't have an anonymous source say somebody said did something and expect then there to be a punishment against a uh, person that you right. would have to you know if you if you were going to make an accusation you would appear you would say exactly what happened and then you would have to have at least at least one other person backing you up and you'd have to everybody would have to know who that person is is as well so, yep, like you said, justice. Justice has to be real. It has to be you know, basically tangible. You know, it, it has to be unquestionable. So our last chapter, Deuteronomy 20, we have some principles concerning warfare. And the very first principle, it points out, do not be afraid because God is with you. And this is specifically to Israel. Because when I was reading it, I was thinking, wow, how many times do people go into battles and whatever? And, well, God is with us. You know, it's like, well, do you know that? And here, the Israelites knew it because God specifically told them, don't be afraid because I, God, am with you. Now, there were some ways that people could uh, get out of going into battle. It was kind of fun. Uh, if you just built a house and you had to put it, if you just built a house and you haven't lived in it, or you haven't dedicated it. If you've built a house and haven't dedicated it, you don't have to go into battle. Uh, if you just grew a vineyard and you haven't been able to eat any of the grapes, you don't have to go to battle. If you are betrothed to a woman but not married, you don't have to go into battle. And this is 
<laughs> so it makes me chuckle. But if you think about it, uh, it's maybe one of the most poignant ones of all of them. Uh, if you're f- straight up afraid to go into battle, don't go into battle. Because your fear influence could affect the people around you. And yeah, that's a fascinating thing. You think about who would be left in that uh-huh. army. It would be people who were like, they were they were on. They were committed. They're like, mm-hmm. no, I'm in. I'm in. Mm-hmm. And if you were surrounded by everybody who was in for the cause, you, you would it would totally change the uh, mood and attitude of the uh, of the whole army. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I did spend a moment wondering why married men were willing to go to battle and die, but not unmarried men, because... The unmarried men don't know any better, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I I never, I'm in within earshot of my wife. I'm not in <laughs> <laughs> You don't know what it's like to be a married man, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> We live in fear. No, just kidding. <laughs> we can't go into battle because our wives won't let us. There you go. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't a doom thing. I mean, if they were if they were fighting for God and they were following His commands, that's the amazing thing. Is you you look at the battles that they fought. Um, pretty much everybody came home, unless they were unless they were um, out of line with what God had asked them to do. It wasn't a, maybe I'll see you later. It was like, no, God's going to fight for us. I'll see you later. I'll be mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Which is which is a actually pretty awesome picture of, of when God is explicitly on your side. Now, I, I think today we get pretty presumptuous with this stuff. Well, God's going to fight for me. God's going to protect me from this and that and the other. When maybe he didn't actually say that. Right. But in these situations, in these specific circumstances, he did. And yeah. The, yeah. the feeling of confidence, if you're doing the right thing, is not presumption. It would be pretty a game changer. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned how everybody who would be going into battle, they'd be ready. I mean, these are guys who would be ready to fight, willing to fight, able to fight. But you notice verse 10, what it says, the first thing they're supposed to do if they go up to a city, and this is a faraway city, it says. Right. They're supposed to offer peace. Yep. So just because you're ready to fight doesn't mean that, uh, doesn't necessarily mean God wants you to fight. Right. Um, Good point. You're, uh, you're supposed to offer peace first. Now, it's talked about specifically faraway cities. This was, n- this was not in cities in this, this particular territory where God had, had specifically given this land to, to the Israelites. But if you are out and about, offer peace. And if they accept it, then it says they were under tribute to you, which is, I think, fairly common. And if they don't, then you besiege, then you besiege them and, and kill the males. Uh, then you can take the women and the chi- children and the livestock as plunder. And that's not interesting you notice that that was not plan A. Right. Yeah. No, well, I mean, they were supposed to. You know, the cities they were in, they were supposed to be walk in and take them. But, uh, yeah, peace first. Mm-hmm. It, along those lines that's different is I noticed that at the very end, there's even God saying, you know, you need to obey some ecology here as you as you besiege the city. Don't do the scorched earth thing. Right. 
don't just chop down every tree just because you can. Mm-hmm. Um, just to be jerks. He's like, if you need to do what you need to do, do what you need to do, but don't be a jerk about it and and uh, ruin the land. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. God saying, you know, practice ecology even in a time of war. I was like, huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no reason to destroy absolutely everything. Because I, you know, I've heard some some uh, some critical thinking or critical uh, attitudes towards God in the Old Testament, where they've talked to him, called him a war god, you know, and like he was just telling them to go in and wipe out everybody. But no, he really wasn't. Maybe in a specific area, but we've talked about that. How he'd been working with these people for centuries. Yep. To to come around to change their ways of thinking, to teach our ways of doing things. I mean, we're talking about people who literally sacrifice their children in fire, you know, and and um, God had been trying for centuries to turn them, and they didn't. And so, yeah, those people got wiped out because there was just no, there was just no hope for that society. But uh, surrounding areas, let's be peaceful. Let's try to have peace with the area. And... Uh, and that's the plan. That was pl- that was the plan A. Let's be peaceful, and and not destroy absolutely everything. So, um, any final thoughts? I think that it would be wise for us to look through these. I think some of these things did apply specifically to the Israelites at that time in those places, as they were asked to do those. But I think we'd be shortchanging ourselves today if we didn't look through this and say, are there principles we can take from here and apply today? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we're not taking things to the Levites to make a judgment, but as we take things to judges, do we have two or three witnesses right. who are, you know, upstanding character on these things? Are we in this, you know, and the flip side is that, and you will inquire diligently. Basically, he's saying you need to do a thorough investigation instead of just, you know, today we've got Twitter mobs and this judgment by social media. Mm-hmm. And all we've seen is the evidence that the leader of the uh, Twitter mob has given us in a, in a, somebody's tweet or a, or a Facebook post. And we're ready to, we're ready to burn them down. And mm-hmm. so God is, I'm just saying there's lots of principles here. He's saying, Hey, in, in the, in the, in the celebrations, be thankful, celebrate. Um, when, when you're considering serious things, be reflective. And these are, we would do at our own loss, we would skim through this and say, ah, that's just all for them. But if we can read through this and say, what is there in here for me today? I think there's a lot. Absolutely. I think so. Just because it's Old Testament doesn't mean that it has no value for us. 100%. Well, I guess that will do it for our reading today. Uh, next week, we will continue on with Deuteronomy 21 through 25. Uh, in the meantime, keep in mind, you can reach us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Look for us on Facebook. Be sure you share the podcast with your friends and family and everyone you come in contact with. And be sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you get us in your feed each and every week. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.